Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Anne Fennell is the president of the California Music Educators Association and the K-12 Music Program Manager for San Diego Unified School District in San Diego, California. She holds a Bachelor in Music Education, a Master's in Educational Leadership Studies, Orff Schulwerk Certification Levels 1, 2, and 3, and over 90 graduate hours in music and additional education coursework. Her experiences include four years in administration and 32 years of teaching music education, including music composition and steel drum ensembles in grades 9 through 12, kindergarten through grade 8 integrated arts and music through Orff Schulwerk, and leading both vocal and instrumental ensembles in civic and professional performances, as well as national music conferences and the annual NAM Board of Directors meetings in 2013 and 2016. Ms. Fennell is a published author through Pearson Education, the Grammy Foundation, the Percussion Marketing Council, and Disney's Little Baby Einsteins. She presents workshops and gives keynotes both nationally and internationally, including for the American Orff Schulwerk Association, the National Association for Music Education, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, China Music Education Conferences, and the International Society for Music Education. She has received numerous state and national awards, including the top 10 Grammy Music Educator finalists for 2016 and top three Music Educator Award for Music and Arts in 2015, 2020, Technology and Music Education National Teacher of the Year, and 2017 Magnet Schools of America National Teacher of the Year. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this week I have a very special guest. Uh, Anne Fennell is somebody that I have known and admired for at least probably a decade at this point. I first met Anne a number of years ago um, when I came to the San Diego Public Schools, uh, and then she was uh, the Time Teacher of the Year. I got to hang out with her then. And I've just got to know uh, Anne in her the many hats uh, that she wears. Uh, and I'm I'm just absolutely thrilled, Anne, that you took time out of your very busy day to speak with us. So thanks so much for being a guest. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm feeling very honored to be on the side of the microphone with you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that so much. So uh, if you've ever listened to our podcast, the way I start off, and this to me is like the most interesting part, is I love finding out about uh, your journey through music education, uh, literally from when you first thought, hey, I might want to go into music uh, up to your present um, uh, role uh, in San Diego. So, you know, the five, 10 minute kind of abbreviated version, but let, let's let our listeners hear uh, your journey through music ed. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's flashbacks, you know, in front of my, in front of my mind. Uh, you know, I wanted to play 
the flute from the very start when I was in fourth grade, and I don't know what it was about. It. I have to let me back up. First moment with music education and absolutely failing would be third grade flutophone PTA con PTA session at night in Northeast Iowa and me faking it all the way through and realizing I have no idea what I'm doing here. Third grade. I remember that feeling of, I don't know what they're talking about. And I'd been holding that thing then for like two months, just that long piece of plastic. You know, I actually found one in a cupboard at the warehouse in San Diego Unified and I kept it as just a reminder of what never to do to any student. Yeah, I, I don't think so. People, so people under a certain age, let me put it that way, uh, yeah. do not know what a flutophone is. But that's exactly oh. what I learned on back in 1978-ish. Yeah, uh, my time too. It was a recorder with like bigger holes that looked a little funky. Uh, yeah, but, and it's like a shorter recorder, yeah, and it's you know that's somewhat aligned to the developmental sizes of the fingers, but it's all one forged piece of plastic of hell. That's what it is. Yeah, awesome. Uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt, Dan. Keep going. No, my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and then thinking, you know, I really want to play the flute. But I had fallen and had a chipped tooth and the lady's like, no, nah, you can't play any. I had a cap and stuff on it, but they didn't, they didn't care. They're like, no, you can't play one instrument. We're putting you on drum. Absolutely hated it. So I literally I'm, you know, living a mile and a half from school, northeast Iowa, and I am hauling this Ludwood drum up and down and over the hills of the university to get to school. Hated it. Never practiced it. Didn't understand what the black note uh, on the white paper was about. And so the Mrs. Hansen was her name, actually. I remember that. And she said, you know, um, Anne, uh, this band class might not be for you. Let's try you in small group lessons. And so I went, oh, okay, great. This is gonna help me understand this. So I get to small group lessons and was just as bad, but now with everyone really looking at me and she finally looked at me and she goes, you know, I think I should do private lessons. Let's do private lessons. Cause he, at that school, it was small enough in that, that district that they could do that. So I would go into private lessons, go across that gym, smell that sweaty space and go into that private lesson room. And she finally said, look at music is not for you. I mean, I was so bad. I would take my drumsticks and just throw it against my mom's dresser and there were marks still on that dresser. So uh, my mom, my dad got a new job. He was teaching at the university, got a new job, moved to Colorado. And so we all moved and I left the drum <laughs> forever at that moment ironic now that i love world percussion but our global percussion but then i decided okay no one's gonna tell me i can't i mean i heard my band person do his presentation and it was he was playing raindrops keep falling on my head i went that's it on the flute that's mine signed up but as i've said those same black notes then showed up on the same white piece of paper that i didn't understand and now they're on five lines you know not even one and I uh, failed miserably. I remember the, my Christmas concert as it was at that time that we did that and just sat there and just didn't understand it until the guy gave me a cutoff sign in the middle. Mr. Mueller gave me a cutoff sign with his hands to stop me in the middle of the concert. And I just fell apart and started crying. Oh, and I was really going to quit. Yeah, I was. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand any part of it. So I remember throwing that fundamentals of white and pink fundamentals of music book on that ochre color carpet and uh really pulled it apart for myself because i realized no one was going to help me i really there was something about the sound that needed to be with me and so i was oh that is an oval and that's not colored in and that one is and that's in a different location and kind of taught myself how to decode the note system and then figured out that that 
note on a different space or line meant a different place for my fingers. No one had ever taught me that way. It was just like, you gotta learn this. So it was that, I mean, it was quite traumatic, but then I kept on going and I just kept on practicing to the point where I got private lessons. And then I realized, okay, this is where I learned how to practice, to learn to teach myself. And I'm lucky I had the um, persistence to stick with it. Most kids probably wouldn't have. My mom and dad both did not do music. Like my mom used to play tambourine in a band in Havana when she was little. She was in Havana, Cuba, and they had to kick her out because she couldn't keep a beat. And my dad was like that too. So I, I had no one to go to, you know. But anyway, that got me into really practicing a lot. Got a great private teacher who happened to bring, she was one of the first people to bring Orf Silver to the United States and oh, taught wow. at the University of Denver. Yeah. So in the summers, I would go and help at her Orf studio. And I also, by eighth grade, was giving private lessons through a private band in Denver, Colorado, which is still around, Colorado Honor Band. And I had been teaching, I've been teaching private lessons now since I was in eighth grade because of that organization, camp counselor, high school, uh, you know, all of those things at the same time, doing ORF stuff in the summers, you know, and working at the studio and got to the University of Colorado, um, decided I wanted to be a marching band uh drum major audition was the first female drum major at the university of colorado really? and in fact yeah they have their huge reunion and wayne dr wayne bailey who is at arizona was at arizona state is now retired it's like and we have the reunion the 80s band is getting back together and this was when bill mccartney came in and the football team actually started winning wow and so we were traveling in bowl games and stuff at that time and um i can't go i'm so bummed it's november but um, so did University of Colorado and loved it and was after the first year was a drum major and then became student director, wrote drill design, loved marching band, wanted to be, I studied under Alan McMurray, did, um, my goodness, score analysis with uh, Alan McMurray and Dr. Wayne Bailey and really was into the wind ensemble conducting and that's what I really wanted to do. I uh, didn't understand the difference between being a director conductor versus a music educator because it wasn't taught that way at that time. Um, you know, still kept my Orchestral Work world get, keep going and held on to all of that and then got my first job uh, in, outside of Boulder at a high school, K-8 uh, situation, K-8 through 12, so it was a middle school that fed into the high school. And those kids ate me up and spat me out because no one had prepared me for what real public education was. You know, I was like, I'm going to step into a rehearsal and the perfect ensemble is going to be in front of me. And no one had prepared me for the extreme poverty. I would, did not understand class management and I should have paid them my first year. It was awful. I did not do well at all. And at that point had met, um, because I was in the summer, I'd come off, I went to Air Bear Music Camping California in the summer with Al McMurray because he was like, hey, if y'all come out, you can help. We can do some conducting and learn some scores. Like, great. Met someone at Arrow Bear. Um, ended up leaving um, Colorado, quitting my job at the end of the school year, thank goodness, because that was just <laughs> awful for me. I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. But then ended up getting an elementary position in Southern California and then realizing, oh, or Schulwerk, let me try that. Went back into my graduate levels. And then that was what took me through my life. For 22 years, I taught K-8 or Schulwerk, got a great uh, public magnet school position at a K-8 school, was there for many, many years. So I taught students, you know, kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, which was heaven. 
and then got tapped on to apply for the new high school that was coming up. And they said, you can teach whatever you want. And this was like in 2007 or 2008. And I said, you know, I think music composition is next. And look at these computers and they have this thing called GarageBand. <laughs> we should do that. And I loved composition because of my Orschelwerk background and did it all the time in the percussion ensembles because of world music drumming. And so all of my classes were rooted in composition um, for 20 some years. It really prepared me to teach that of high school. And then I went, okay, we don't have baseball or football or cheerleaders. Oh, we don't have football or cheerleaders. We have baseball at our school. We have, you know, it's going to be a different school. I don't need a new marching, marching band at the high school. I want to do music composition, but what else can I do? And I went, oh, I'm going to be able to teach beginners from the very beginning um, in music education. So I'm going to let the other two high schools do marching band and stuff. I'm going to do community music making ensembles wow. to pull people in. So uh, my own two children were studying the steel pan. I went, well, I'm going to do that. So I thought this, I can do this. It's like ORF, but round, right? It's like a xylophone, but round. <laughs> so really studied a lot, a great deal about it. And then ended up having 150 kids a year in music composition, four levels of music composition. They would walk out with over 500 hours of composition by the time they got in college. Wow. And then I had three steel pan ensembles with about 165 students of the year in pan, steel pan ensembles. And my my beginning ensembles, everything was rooted in composition. In fact, someone just emailed me this over the weekend. Hey, I love that arrangement you did because we still have our YouTube channel up. Love that arrangement you did of um, Mario Brothers, you know, da -da -da -da. Um, where's the music? And I said, well, I never treated it like a traditional band program, like trumpet one, two, three. I said they were on lead sheets. I incorporated music theory and the kids, students said all the arrangement, all the music in the moment. And wow. the guy writes back and goes, okay, thank you very much. Yeah, never so, mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? But that means from the very beginning, I taught that way. So my students had such composition skills. It was ridiculous. Coached a bunch of rock bands. We had this thing called Rock the Hill. We had like 20 rock bands performing every fall back to back and kids making bands and loved it. I was there for 10 years and then this opportunity came up in San Diego Unified. I'd finished teaching after 32 years, loved what I was still doing. I felt like I was going out on top, like winning the Super Bowl, right? Versus like right. hating the job. But um, this position opened up to be the K-12 music program manager in San Diego Unified and thought, I'm ready to do this. I love, I know what to do with higher at you know the secondary schools i know what to do with elementary i really can coach them you know give workshops all over the country in orf and or in composition i was i could dance around any any type of really highly engaged level of teaching at all age levels so i thought well i can make a huge impact if i come and do this so that's what i've been doing and i love the work here I, the teachers have just come together so well and it's been five years in the making for them to come together, you know, creating a team like that. And now I'm president of California Music Educators as well, really looking at how do we continue to expand um, pathways of music making to and be inclusive of all students and all cultures and all ways of making music. Well, I, I knew I liked you, Anne, and I, oh. you know, that is, uh, you know, the Thanks. one the, the the one thing I want to take away from that I, I do and as I'm sure you do as well I speak with a lot of um, undergraduate and graduate music ed majors uh -huh. and many many of them are scared many of them are like asking like the most basic questions and they're like what do I do and what I love about your story is that you 
made the program your own when you when, you know <sighs> if you just rewind what you just went through and say i was teaching music composition and steel pan in a high school situation that is not what most undergrad music ed majors are dreaming up in their heads of what their gig is going to be it's it, it is i'm either a marching band director a choir director or i'm doing strings yeah. but to, to for you to be able to mold uh, a program around the students rather than what is the expected norm and what your community needed and what you loved and what you know your where your passion yeah. i think is great is a great role model for any undergrad or even grad student that's that's wondering you know how do how do they make an impact because i that story is amazing and it's not the norm and and i'm i'm sure you know that but you don't want to say it it is not the norm yeah for a high school music teacher to be doing what you're doing and you did it so incredibly well and successfully and and won all types of awards and adulation and everyone in in our little music tech community uh has has so much respect for you i just oh my gosh it's um it's it's really cool i you know do you speak to undergrad i mean i just spoke to i do quite a bit um and graduate programs too because yeah. they you know they come in like what's it like to be a director i mean and, and then i'll say i saw like you mean music educator <laughs> you know what i mean because that's what it is we're not going to school to become a director we are going to school to become a music educator and when you lean in what students need, like I knew my school was new and we needed community. How was I going to create community? We're going to make all these rock bands and we're going to make a steel pan ensemble that everyone comes in. I don't care what you play or if you don't play. So I'll have kids with accordion and trumpets and right. piano or nothing. Right. And then we all come together and we create this incredible music. It was all about what did the community need and what did I feel was next? Because students love to create music. And it's just a natural part of who we are as human beings. And when we take that away from them, it becomes so didactic from teacher to student that we lose that opportunity, you know? And I, I think that if we would all stop and look at what our community needs, now, and some are rooted very much in tradition, right? That's beautiful. Right. They know what it is, but there are so many communities that are changing and, and what is possible. Do the students really feel that they're going to create the best music education or learn the most in that way. Right. You know, who are we to tell them everything that they should have and how they should be able to express themselves and exactly what it is. I mean, that's like, that's like the point end of the day crescendo where it just dies. Yeah. You know? yep. So I, one thing um, that I'd love before we get into the tech side of things, yeah. A lot of music educators, uh, and this happened to me, it obviously happened to you, but about maybe 10 years into my teaching career, I was thinking about what's next. You know, how do I progress my career? What are, oh, yeah. what are the next steps? What can I do? I went, I got my, my doctorate because I had in my head that I wanted to become a supervisor of music or, you know, kind of what, what you do. Uh, at San Diego. And I never really got there because it was such a competitive because every other music teacher that I knew that had uh. about 10, 15 years in was doing the same. Be, be, um, what is it like switching from 32 years of being a music educator to being an administrator? Yeah, I got to tell you, it was the hardest move I ever did in my life because I love teaching, but I also knew that I had a lot more to share yep. and I, it was a pacing, right? Because our career is long. It's that marathon. It's not that 
next, 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 next. It's like, how do you make it 30? This is my 37th year. How do you make it that long and still be a contributing member to society without burning yourself out? Right. Yep. Yep. Funny you say that whole thing about, you know, getting your degree and I'm going to do this. I went back in 2008 to do my master's in administration in the middle of it switched. I'm like, ah, no, nah, this is not me. 2000. And I, so I switched it to a le- master's in leadership studies. Uh-huh. nonprofit and profit and that gave me the understanding of adult learners and that really helped me on my, my workshops yep. so that i didn't even have my admin credential i ended up taking a test to get it which you can do in california and i passed it because of my leadership work and my yep. forever work in education it's a hard test to pass or you can do the years in and i it's a pacing for me yeah. um and I also it's an understanding of Man, if you're going in it just because you want to close your career out there that way or just because you want to feel like you have power or whatever, everyone's different. And, and I don't like the word power, but right. my whole thing was, what do we have to do right for every child? Yep. Every child. That was my why is so clear that when anything is not aligned with what is right for students, it is very easy for me to say let's look at this through the eyes of a student because right. our goal in the end is for every child to be either a patron of or a lifelong contributor to or experiencing music or the arts whatever it might be so my lifelong trajectory is how do they contribute to society as a patron or either making music the rest of their lives it's way beyond that concert in december or november it's, oh, yeah. it's like who are we as humans and if i keep that rooted in how we get to um Okay, here we go. You know how uh, how we get to help this be revealed by every student? Let me explain it this way. An artist has a block of clay if they're sculpting, and they see in the middle of that block of clay a beautiful piece of art. And through the extractive method, they pull the excess space away to reveal the negative space that then reveals that positive space of right. that piece of art. That's what I think about children and music. What are we going to get rid of? in all of their external world that's happening around them, that we get to reveal within them the musician that actually exists. I love it. That's so that's, yeah. yeah, that's it That's it for me. And so that's my why. And I mean, coming into this was real also in, hey, I needed a pay increase because I told both of my children I'd pay for their college. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. So that was real. It's like, I gotta make, it's either sell my house or, get, or go into administration. So it was reconciling with, I gave my 100% everything I did for 32 years without a question without a question and I gave it to every child and I parted ways with in tears with students and end of June and knowing you know and still running to people and they in fact I'll tell you what I did on Monday night in a second here was still with students um, from my past program but I look at that and I think but it's also knowing I came out with a joy and love not because I didn't like teaching anymore but now I got to carry that joy and love to reach thousands of students and how many, how many, roughly ballpark, how many students are in the San Diego Unified Schools? About 95,000 right now. And I supervise the 33 elementary music teachers that go out to the 118 elementary schools. Oh, my. And so I was just organizing my observation schedule. Absolutely not possible to do it in less than five weeks. It's, <laughs> it's a five-week endeavor each time I go out. Oh, my. Because yeah, and then I support all of the secondary teachers at every middle and high school. So it's 165 schools total. Wow. 
yeah, it is. Yeah. And if, 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 if for those listeners who have never been to San Diego, it is one of the most beautiful cities mm-hmm. in America. Uh, I did a training there probably 15 years ago uh, in the uh, Balboa Park in this most beautiful um, kind of uh, veranda looking uh, Spanish architecture. It was incredible. Um, really great really really great district and i'm so happy that you landed there and i'm sure that the Thanks. teachers and students uh benefit from your kind of enthusiasm yes. and passion so you know I, let me jump in here jim because it's so interesting i live 45 miles north of where i work right and i have taught in barrio sections where i where i was coming from before i mean very beautiful situations but also extremely challenging hmm. i did not realize living only 45 miles away I did not realize the disparity in socioeconomic levels in San Unified School District. The top of the top yep. to absolute abject party, um, poverty where 30% of the school is homeless. Where yep. I went into a school once and I couldn't find a parking lot and I talked to the parking space and I talked to the principal. I said, wow, you have so many parent volunteers. And she goes, no, they live in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, that's real. Oh my. Yeah, so it's, it's the spectrum. And so what are we doing to serve all students within that wow. spectrum? Yeah, that's real. Anyway. All right. On that note, let's pivot to uh, the good old music technology, because you mentioned GarageBand before. You mentioned composition. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think the role of music technology is uh, within any music program? It is the same role that a trumpet provides within a music program. I love that. I love that. Right? It's the tool. So one is brass, one is silver, and one is a laptop. And it is a, it's a tool that supports the individual to become the most creative individual that, in which this can express their thoughts and ideas through sound. I love that. I wish I thought of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always, you know, there's like, oh, my God, well, you know, how come they're not using a pencil and a paper? And, blah, 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 blah. and I went, oh, okay, boys and girls. I'm sure they said that about papyrus in the book. I can't believe you're not going to scratch that out on yep. a log and put that, you know. No, we have a printing press now. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I, I look at that and I just think it's, who are we to tell someone what their creative tool is or is not? And if that is based in fear, shame on us. Yep, 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 yep. Here, here. You yeah. know, I, I compl- obviously I completely agree. This is my, my oh, yeah. I've spent my entire career um, trying to convince music educators that music technology can be a force for good and for for kids. Right. For me, it's it's the original. My original passion was the creative side of things. So when I um, first started uh, teaching, uh, my second job actually, it was in a really, really affluent town in New Jersey. And I taught these really, really rich kids. And I was teaching general music. And I had gone to college to be a band director, um, not to be a general, like a pre K to eight general vocal instrumental teacher, which is the gig I got. Uh, and I remember like being absolutely petrified. What on earth am I going to do with these kids? And when I got to the middle school students, which was the first class, I was like, these are the scariest children. Right. And, and yes. what, I, what I did was immediately latch on to what I loved about, you know, music, which was creating my own music with synthesizers. Right. So I was like, ah. in order to connect with these kids who were really only a few years younger than me, eighth mm-hmm. grade with eighth graders were like 13, 14 years old. And I was 21, 22. 
So as soon as I brought the music technology into the class, I saw immediately that they loved it too. They wanted to compose. They wanted to see how the sounds were being made. And for me, it was almost like a life raft, almost like a, I was desperate to find something to connect with the students. And it went from being petrified of the students to I cannot wait for this class to come back because we're going to do more composition. So for me, that you know, whenever anybody goes, wow, how did you start doing composition with kids? There was no lofty reason. It was, I wanted to survive as a music teacher and with kids. And I found that even the toughest kids, you know, the ones with the arms crossed who look at you like music is terrible. I, why am I here? As soon as they were allowed to explore drum beats, bass lines and their, and making their own music, they were like putty in my hands. It was, and yeah. I wish more music teachers kind of had that same experience because it is powerful to, you know, you did a lot of composition. What did you, what types of things did you do with your kids and what was their reaction? Yeah. Well, you know, I want to address what you just talked about it. What it comes down to is a learner centered approach, right? Because Absolutely. we are saying that they are creative beings. We're giving them the tool and that it is truly self-efficacy. It's that, power to create and that they they see themselves in this realm and whether or not they can articulate it they find themselves being this creative person and so coming from a situation where i would only receive my music education in a didactic didactic situation chair first chair flute conductor tell me what to do right there was no engagement like i'm not going to tell them what to do with that decrescendo or crescendo right if you're not into that kind of thing you might never find yourself in music Right. If you're not into creating something and being told what to do and move forward in that experience with that ensemble experience, it's never going to find you. I don't know. Um, I'm going to tell you it wasn't my flute teacher um, was learner centered and the ORF process that I went through was learner centered, but I never had that experience. So it's so foreign even for an, a regular music teacher to even translate their life experience to flip it. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge cognitive shift for them. Well, you know, I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm not going to tell them what to, instruments to pick. I'm not going to do, but I'm supposed to tell them this, you know, <laughs> but are we? right. So this constructivist concept of making and creating music is the 180 yeah. where then suddenly you'll find students might not be in band because they find themselves in a different way to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Back, back to your question, though. Go ahead. Just one quick thing on that. I yeah. my, I did all my graduate work at Teachers College, which uh, oh, yeah. Columbia University, which is the yeah the birthplace of constructivism. And my uh, my professor in in uh, at, at TC was a, a fantastic music educator named Lenore Panowski, uh, Poganowski, uh, who is the Manhattanville Project. She did all that kind of. Uh, kind of learner centered and and constructivist. So yeah, we were on the same wave. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. You asked me, was it um, some of the projects that we did? Yeah. So oh my goodness. Oftentimes I would ask them, what do we want to do? And I'll give you everything from oh my goodness. You know, um, especially when they're I had this really I had this really beautiful sequence with beginners, but you know. Um, we're going to compose music that you might find frightening without sound effects. 
being used. You know, what is that? And that really starts to have them listen to music in a different way. It was really about teaching them how to pull sound apart and what sound can create, you know, yep. what creates tension, what creates release, all of those things. And they learn about music through the doing, right? It's not, oh, you better know that note first. It is through the composition. And then they, we translate that into reading and writing music, right? So what does the notation look like? Um, all the way into, oh my goodness, um, we, had, uh, we decided to make all of the call waiting music for the entire school district. Oh, that's hysterical. So the students researched every single mascot of the school district. This was in Vistina School District. All the elementary, like 20 some schools, you know, about 25,000 kids. And we researched all the elementary and middle and high school. And then we opened folders that were just open MP3 folders they could download. And I sent it to all the principals. Oh my gosh, it was like the biggest hit. Then IT got wind of it like, hey, Ann, can we come in? Because we want to talk to your students about adjusting the sound um, so that it comes out in this digital phone in this way. And so then we had the entire group of IT folks come in, listen to every file with the composer. Great, you need to do this. You need this bass. You need this treble. This is going to come out this way on this phone. So how do you do that? And so then schools got to pick their music. It was oh, that's great. awesome. That's that fantastic. Was that. It was really integrated with everyone. We also did, you know, what is your favorite product you want to sell? And then if you were to write the music for that at a commercial, it would be students had their service projects. So their service projects would be music, which created such a beautiful tangled web of unmiss, um, issues with some of the companies. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with a piece of intellectual property. Right, right. Right. So we had to sign off on lawyers. It was crazy. So I invited all the students to pick their favorite nonprofit in the world. The stories behind these, Jim, were so moving. I, I was just weeping. It would be things like uh, my mom and dad came here from the Philippines and this international group helped my mother i would not be here or alive had it not come from this and they would oh, write this piece of, oh I, it was incredible then we practiced from the piece you know they had to really look at the mission vision and values of the company have that reflected within their music and they had to really discuss the elements and um the properties of the music and how this was going to be reflected through their music to match this find a person at the company talk to people and work with how they wanted to their company to be represented through sound so that we practice how they cold call someone how do they find someone i have videos still on my phone and in my laptop of students practicing the cold call for different places um, oh, wow. once, it's crazy one father had just survived um, a heart attack so they went to the american heart association one was about um oh my goodness uh coral reefs you name it it was such powerful work that then one was oh my gosh the melting of the polar ice caps and this happened not to be for nonprofit but she wanted to go to nasa and she wanted to give she had seen a video that nasa had created about the polar ice caps melting she goes i need to create a piece of music that goes over their time lapse video because there's no music to it oh wow i ended up working with this young woman you know she's like a junior in high school and we dug so far deep in the NASA website to find the people that made the actual video. And then we're on this conference call with people sharing the music. 
and they're weeping to the point where we have to redo the video. We now have music. Oh my and it, God. Then it, be, then it was become, became a part of the NASA website. Oh, how that, cool is that? Okay, here's the coolest thing. That next day, this girl had been struggling with self-esteem and whatnot, and she wrote on her hand, NASA loves me. Oh, that's awesome. Holy I'm telling you, I still, <laughs> I still have that picture of her hand. She holds that to this day. Oh, it's man. incredible work. Yeah. And of course, you know, gaming music and I... Um, Oh my gosh, I was so lucky. I did a cold call to uh, Blizzard, you know, up in Irvine, California, about an hour and a half hour from where I was teaching. And I had read an article about Jason Hayes, who I just saw on Monday night. I'm going to connect this story now. Oh, that's cool. And I said, Jason, um, Mr. Hayes, can you come down and talk to my students? I told him what I was doing. He goes, heck yeah. And the first time he came down was 2019, 2009. And then years after that, he would just bring the whole composition team down. Neil Acree, Russell Brower, all these incredible people. And I'd have like 160 people come in my room and young men, you know, 16, 17, wearing their World Warcraft wear, their posters, and crying as they walk in the room to meet right. these guys. That's crying, cool. weeping. So I now had, here comes Fast Forward Monday, you know, two days ago, I have a student who just graduated from Berkeley. I have one um, who's now mid twenties and now going back to get his master's at Berkeley in composition. The whose student who just graduated in May with composition and audio arts, um, like an audio sound design. And then one is graduating from composition from UCSD, University of California, San Diego in composition. And is currently working with King Britt when his catalog is just insane as a DJ artist. Wow. Um, and, you know, they have been messaging me like, hey, what's next? Blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? You know, when I, I wrote Xander's letter for his graduate program and he texted me in mid-September, he goes, we got in, Miss Fennell. I'm like, I'm so excited for his graduate work. So they had been texting me on the side and they said, hey, you know, I'm a little bit nervous. Like, what's next? What's next? And I said, let's call Jason and see. And so Jason met us in Orange County for dinner on Monday night and he was giving them tips. Oh, my. That's what we should do. This is what we need to do. And so, he, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And now he is friends with these guys. I'm going up to the gaming conference, you know. Um, and he goes, you guys need to come. I'll walk you around and introduce you to everyone. And do you have your pitch ready? Do you have this ready? Um, what's your audio? What's your real like? I mean, it was just like life coaching like you can't imagine. Right. I bought pizza for everyone. And we talked for two hours. That's so, incredible. Yeah. I hope the kids realize how special of an educator you are. Oh, that, thank you. That's kind. All the way back, because I drove two of them up. One of them met me there because he had a work, different work schedule, and <laughs> they just couldn't stop talking. They're like, oh, my God, I need to go home and start. I'm back on again. I went, I know. This is all it takes is a little bit of drip of love and support, right? Yeah, if we that's can awesome. That, yeah. Oh, keep man. on teaching. Keep on keep on. Exactly. So let me um... – I've got a I've got a couple more questions for you, but before I get to the last two, I just wanted to know what kinds of things are teachers in San Diego doing with technology, and are you helping them with that? Is that part of your gig? Is to coach with technology? Uh -huh. I know you've got NoteFlight. I think you have Soundtrap and um, some uh -huh. other things in there. Like, what are what are the teachers in San Diego uh, doing with tech? Uh, yes. So when I got here in 2019, they had nothing. And so, oh my goodness, thank you, universe. And twenty in the fall of 2019, I said we should all be doing no flight. Right. We need this. Period. Um, and let's buy district-wide accounts, right? So we got everyone, all the elementary, middle, and high school note flight accounts, just for them at that time and their students, if they felt comfortable with it. 
Um, and then the pandemic hit like four week, four months later, and they had already received professional learning on it three or four times. So they were ready to go. It was just like this beautiful moment of, yep. oh my God, you've been saved. Yeah, we, we had a similar thing. A lot of our teachers were just like, uh, that that were using music first. We're just like, thank God I had this. Yes. Because right. I don't, I, I'm ready to go on, on March 17th. I, I know what right. I'm doing. Yeah, it's one thing to learn Zoom, but it's another thing to learn Zoom and Soundtrap and NoteFlight and Google Classroom, right? So yep. they had kind of had it under control. And so uh, I started then adding Soundtrap and all the te elementary teachers have Soundtrap. We, it's just too expensive to buy all the elementary students because we have, you know, yep. Thousands, thousands. Yep, yep. So now we have a you know a good three thousand soundtrack accounts for secondary, and wow. we now have our first music composition class. It started last year at one of the high schools. So hoping to expand that. And in the middle school, uh, one of my old students, who's now in his late thirties, is teaching at the middle school, and he's doing this really cool uh, amalgamation of music composition and visual art, digital media. Wow. And so, right, we're now losing the single thread of what one subject is and how do you merge this together to meet multiple standards. Yep. And these are the students he's working with. These are students that um, normally struggle in school, that have uh, probably the school's not well known for having the best coming out of it, right? right. But his program is thriving because of the learner centered work. Students are creating art, they're animating it, they're adding music and sound design, art past peep parts to it. It is just insane what That's he's awesome. doing. And it's, here's the difference. It's not, oh, no, I don't know that. It's like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Okay. Yep. Yes. You know, it's that mindset of, you know, well, for me, you know, and I'm sure for you, there were points where I think I'm one day ahead of you guys. Exactly. Let's make it work. You know, <laughs> you know, am I going to throw up or am I going to teach? I'm going to yeah. teach. I'll throw up later, you know, <laughs> and you just stay a little bit ahead. And yeah, you work in fear, but then you release your ego and you grow together. Right. Oh, I can't agree more with that statement. And and you just got to the, the, the question I was going to ask, which is about advice. And I think that for a lot of music teachers, there's something about the way that I'll speak for myself, the way that I was brought up through music in school and then music, uh, you know, learn becoming a music teacher in undergrad was that the teacher is the musical leader of the room, period, and that the students are followers and that they should always be good and quiet and listen and watch and eye contact and that you're the boss, if you will. That's that's kind of the way, you know, I think a lot of music teachers are brought up. And then when you get to real school, <laughs> you get to real classes, you realize quite quickly that that's not the way uh, to win the kids over or for you. I mean, I'm sure there are teaching situations that it works. But when um, when I found that the like the, the kids who were the biggest problems were also the best at technology. And so if there was ever, a, even though I was at the time considered a technology expert, I used to ask my seventh graders all the time, how the heck do you do this? And then three days later, I'd be talking about it at a conference because the kids always know. So when you do give up the ego uh, and and let the kids, you know, the kids are really good at this stuff, um, but you're really good at music. So somewhere in between, you're going to do some great things. You know, the to you, the, the question is, what what advice would you give to music teachers and other administrators um, who are thinking about bringing tech into their uh, music programs and all that goes along with that? Yeah, there. Oh my gosh, so many, so much came up with this for me when you were talking, because I was thinking about those students. You know, if 
If you are that person who wants to push back from someone leveling a demand on you, you'll never make it in a traditional ensemble class. Right. Right. You're never asked, not never, but in the majority of ensembles, rarely right. is an educator asking them for their opinions. Right? right. What do you want to do? Who's carrying the melody? How do we do this? Can we add a measure here? Can we not? How do we keep the integrity of the piece? These kinds of levels of inquiry that result in a co-created musical experience is not a part of a traditional program. So if you don't have that personality of that person who's pushing back and questioning, yep. your, your programs will be fine, right? But those students who always push back and always want a little bit more, someone might consider them a troublemaker. They're not. They're just questioning why. Yep. And those are the people you want. Oh my gosh, those are the people I love having in my class. Agreed. Uh, because I ran the, my ensembles, you know, we ran the ensembles in that manner as well, as well, right? So I, I need to address that. And then I'll talk about the, what do we say about music technology? It's, you know, one of the students, I, I always, I led my classes through inquiry. And one of the students who was in ninth grade said, what do you mean? What do we want to do with the piece of music? Because it was an ensemble class. I said, well, how do you want it to end? Well, we end up where the double bar line is. I said, do we have to? Well, yes, we have to. Did, do we really have to? And one of the students goes, why do you ask questions like this? Because it's really hard. And I said, and then I had a student aide because I had student aides that came in all the time. And, he, and, she, and the guy said, well, get used to it. Ms. Fennell is going to ask you questions until you own the music. Ooh. You know, that's what, that's what it was about, which also, by the way, set my music composition programs up, right? My ensembles were run in the same way that, because we were composing in ensembles as much as we were reading music, as much as I wanted them to be able to spin out and do composition in a digital. It's, it's about that how of teaching that connects ensemble classes to composition classes too. Awesome. But, you know, it's that whole, it's that um, and part. And I, you know, for me, if I look at um, I look at an administrator or someone questioning technology, it's who's not in your room. Right. And, oh. and why? Right. So you need to go out to that. You need to go survey the students. What do they want? Because I'm going to tell you right now, kids are doing it in spite of teachers. Right. Students are doing this and they're making music on their own. And some of the teachers will never know these people. And suddenly they're going to show up big and famous. And like they went to that high school. Month. I never knew that. Exactly. Well, that's because we never opened the door to them. Yep. So it's, how do we know what students want? It's by asking them and finding it out and telling and modeling that when we are learner centered, all students are going to be so engaged, they're not going to want to go home. They're right. not going to want to leave that campus. They're not going to want to graduate early. I had students that would get rid of PE class so they could take extra music composition class or they would take their foreign language in the summer so they could double down. It, and then they would never le think of graduating early because we had so much we still needed to learn and grow from. And what happens is that when you're creating a program that taps into students' interests, and fortunately for this, you know, it's through technology, you're going to end up with more students highly engaged, a more positive school climate. And then you're going to tap into students who never even knew that the musician was residing inside of them all along because yep. we are biogenetically predisposed to create music. And so when we open that up to all students, people are going to see their programs. My, my programs were running like 18% of the school population. And in Ooh. Southern California, that's huge for school population just in music. Right. That did not count choir and guitar next door. Right. Yeah. 
you just never know. So it's always about us not assuming and telling people what they need, but it's us asking the hard questions that might require a shift in what we're doing. If we are seeing numbers shifting, what do the students want? I'm going to tell you right now, they're making music on their phones all the time. Yeah. So how do you create that in a classroom setting to really provide a depth of an understanding of what music education is and see themselves as that creator and a contributor to society in our culture because they are creating culture with or without us. Yeah. So let it be with us in the possibility of a stronger community school unit that's going to push out into the larger community. And I, I could literally oh. talk to you for hours. You're, uh, oh, it's, it's really, uh, it's very inspiring uh, uh, to talk with you. But I, I, unfortunately, I only have time for one last question. Okay. It's, the, okay. it's the question that I ask every guest. And that is, uh -huh. if, you could, if you could wave a magic wand and have music technology do something that it can't do now, like, here's what I would love uh, a company to build or do or this this is what makes me crazy. What would it be? Well, I would like virtual reality to be more uh, reachable and sustainable in public schools right now, because I think I know that's our next frontier yep. and we've not even typed, tapped into it. And I think it needs to be in a place where it's an open access where everyone can afford it yep. because technology is a barrier in cost. So how do we provide technology in such a way that it's going to be on that cutting front edge that they are actually leading themselves into a position of employment at the end? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what would I want? I want to be able to know that if my if I'm thinking that I want that trumpet sound to be forward, that it just does it. I don't have to actually dial it in because, you know, we've got that similarly with, with people who have, um, that are not vocally able to articulate what is being said right. and they can blink their eyes or they can think, and then it, it, it comes out. And I do believe that with just some external type of headset, that if we can think and we can erase now that, you know, we, we got rid of the pencil and now one mouse, right? So that what it does is it's no longer a barrier to a fluid creative movement that gets us in that flow state. Our mind is firing faster than we can manipulate the mouse or the program. And we know more than we can verbally express, right? So how do we then find the technology that's going to be on the forefront of what the mind is thinking to move quicker through the creative process? I love it. Yeah. I love it. You know, and you're not far off. I did a lecture on AI last night at Montclair mm -hmm. State, uh, my alma mater. Mm. Uh, you're not that, we're not that far away. Uh, we're close. Yeah, we are close. And absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. And I'm so happy you, you, yeah. you shared uh, your stories with us and your insights on Music Ed. Uh, anyone that's listening to this podcast from San Diego, you should be thrilled that Anne is on your side. Oh, I, every, I know any other district would be. Uh, Anne, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing uh, some time with us. And, and I, I hope you have a fantastic school year. And I hope I get to see you in person very soon. Same here, Jim. I'm very honored to be a part of this. And thanks for your great questions. I get I was so excited. I, you know, I was like, oh, I should have said X, Y, Z. But I think it's it's just a beautiful opportunity to kind of just share a few thoughts here and there. So thank you for this opportunity. You're welcome. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and take care. Thanks. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.